0: This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Chuck Ann's Levitch. A piece of legislation that is expected to pass through the legislature this week will do so without a lot of support from the community it's aimed at. The colleges didn't want it. The uh, universities didn't want it. Uh, a lot of the students that spoke didn't, didn't
1: want it. But it's here, and uh, I assume the governor will sign it. And even if he doesn't, there's probably the votes there to, uh, to veto it.
0: That story and more coming up on this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Bald eagle populations in Pennsylvania and the United States have rebounded over the years, but some of those birds are still dying from lead poisoning. WPSU's Ann Danahy spoke with a certified wildlife rehabilitator about the lead in ammunition and its unintended impact.
2: Robin Grabowski is the founder and director of Center Wildlife Care. There, they treat everything from baby bunnies to bald eagles. When things go well, that means releasing animals back into the wild, but that's not always possible. Case in point, a bald eagle they recently tried to treat for lead poisoning.
3: Usually when we have an eagle,
2: it takes two or three people to hold them and medicate them and treat them or to take blood. This eagle was so weak, one person could easily pick this bird up. The Game Commission had found it and brought it to Center Wildlife, but they couldn't save it. That's the characteristic signs of lead toxicity is they become very weak, too weak to fight, too weak to fly. Grabowski says there's a simple solution using non-lead ammunition. And it's not just the wildlife. If you're hunting and catching these animals to feed your family, that meat could have lead in it too. And it could be a powdery residue that you don't see. Another option, Grabowski says, is using less expensive lead ammo for target practice, but switching to copper when hunting. In State College, I'm Ann Danahee.
0: The House of Delegates is planning its fourth public hearing of the regular session today at 9 a.m. in the House chamber. The topic is House Bill 3270, which would change the state's workers' compensation law that allows workers to hold companies accountable for ignoring safety hazards that lead to severe injury or death. The bill's sponsor, Delegate John Paul Hot, a Republican from Grant County, says the tort reform bill attempts to gain some control over what he calls a highly volatile subject area in West Virginia pertaining to workers' compensation, namely, deliberate intent. This bill would limit non-economic damages to $250,000. People who wish to speak on the bill can register at the House chamber beginning at 8.30 this morning. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about a new book based on the life and influence of environmentalist Rachel Carson.
3: A new memoir traces a life inspired by the environmental hero Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holzapel. Patty DeMarco has had a 50-year career in energy and environmental policy. She was the executive director of the Rachel Carson Homestead Association and director of the Rachel Carson Institute at Chatham University in Pittsburgh, where she's now senior scholar and adjunct faculty. In her new book, In the Footsteps of Rachel Carson, Harnessing Earth's Healing Power, DeMarco opens up about her career and personal life, including moving to Brazil at 10 when her father was in the Foreign Service, and how her time there mirrored the way Rachel Carson grew up in western Pennsylvania.
2: Her family was very protective of her. So was mine. I mean, they controlled who we played with because we lived out in the middle of the jungle. Everybody else lived in town. And also, there are not many... 12-year-old kids in a Catholic school that are interested in bugs. I know one time this absolutely beautiful moth was kind of injured in the playground at lunchtime, and I wanted to save it. I picked it up, and I put it over in the bushes, and of course it fluttered right back down because it had a damaged wing. And one of the boys came running by and stomped it flat, and I just sat down and cried. Kids did not connect to things that I got excited about. So I felt a little bit like Rachel Carson that I found solace in connecting to the natural world because it didn't criticize
3: there's some really lovely nature writing in the book. I'm thinking of your time at the shore with your children, examining those little crabs and insects there, and your descriptions of the ecosystem of your yard in Pittsburgh, where you would lie on the ground as you healed from cancer. Could you read a little section?
2: Well, sure. Thank you for asking. I had a section called The Gifts of the Healing Trees. I'll just read a little paragraph. I closed my eyes and felt the embrace of the elder pin oaks extend to me. These great trees form the connection between the earth and the sky, each one an engine of carbon sequestration as their leaves turn sunlight into sugars and starches and cellulose. The miracle of photosynthesis happens here on a grand scale. In this summer of rain and warm weather, the air so close to the ground, holds an earthy fragrance laced with clover blossoms and the stargazer lilies in the nearby garden border. My senses are dulled by the chemicals coursing through my body in the attempt to stifle the tumor growing in my breast, but saturating myself in all of this pulsing life lends me a sense of calm and confidence in the enduring resilience of nature.
3: Who did you write this book for, and what do you want them to take away from it?
2: I wrote this book partly because I was so inspired by Rachel Carson's fortitude in dealing with a really brutal treatment for cancer. In her days, it was much worse than it is today. She persisted even when she was suffering, you know, iritis in her eyes and had to have people read to her. And I felt like, okay, what you need to do is to focus on your purpose. I continued writing a blog every month during the whole time I was sick. I gave 35 speeches the year that I was in chemo. And I find that when you're dealing with something as invasive and disruptive as cancer and the treatments of it, if you have an internal sense of purpose, you're less likely to be destroyed and devastated by the experience of having a disease. And I wanted to share that.
3: Patty DeMarco is the author of the new book, In the Footsteps of Rachel Carson, Harnessing Earth's Healing Power. There's more, including info about the February 23rd book launch at AlleghenyFront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsapel.
0: The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. The time is 7.50. You're listening to West Virginia Morning on West Virginia Public Broadcasting. We're expecting mostly cloudy skies with a good chance of rain today, highs in the 50s to the low 60s, a 50-50 chance of rain tonight with lows in the 40s, tomorrow mostly cloudy with a chance of scattered showers in the morning, followed by some sunshine later in the afternoon, highs tomorrow in the 50s to the low 60s. Support for West Virginia Public Broadcasting is provided by Dutch Miller Subaru in Charleston. Dutch Miller Automotive is proud to be dedicated to multiple community service initiatives and local charities. More about our team and the Subaru Love Promise at DutchMillerSubaru.com. Days at the legislature, at least up until now, tend to be a little bit quieter as senators and delegates head home for the weekend. That gives us a chance to evaluate what we've seen this week and what we expect to happen next week. Last week, WVPB's Randy Owey and Chris Schultz were joined in our Capitol Street studios by veteran TV newsman from WCHS in Charleston, Bob Aaron. They discussed some of the big-ticket items in the legislature, including campus carry and arming public school teachers, along with splitting up the DHHR. Among other things, here's part of their conversation.
4: Let's talk about campus carry. That was the big story this week. I sat in on the public hearing a couple days ago where, uh, out of 40 people, uh, 38 spoke against the bill, two spoke for. And one was an NRA lobbyist, right? That's exactly right. Um, What was your gather, Bob, on on this whole campus carry issue?
1: I think uh, the second amendment issue is so strong among West Virginia politicians that uh, it just seems to have a life of its own. uh, colleges didn't want it. Uh, universities didn't want it. Uh, a lot of the students that spoke didn't didn't want it. But it's here, and uh, I assume the governor will sign it. And even if he doesn't, there's probably the votes there to uh, to veto it, Chris, or override I, we, the
4: veto. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, Chris. What we heard from the college students and the college administrators were concerns over suicide, concerns over mental health, yeah. and I know you t- you covered a lot of that end of it.
5: Right. Uh, so this bill came out of the Senate uh, before it made its way to the House. And as Bob just referenced, it's completed its legislative uh, action. So it, it's ready to go whenever the governor uh, is willing or isn't to sign it. So what we heard at the Senate, that's when we saw those those letters uh, from the universities. And both Marshall and WVU, if I'm not mistaken, mentioned this issue of mental health. And one of the things that we heard from uh, the presenters both during and after the public hearing was uh, the concern that the mental health crisis that we're currently seeing in the country, coupled with an increased access to weapons, will create a rise in uh, suicides. And, and, you know, we heard a couple of different people talk about the problem of, you know, a desperate situation, a desperate moment in someone's life ending in tragedy because they have this readily available uh, resource or tool, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, yeah, there's a lot of concern. And, and as we all know, having been college graduates, college can be a very stressful time. It's, it's a huge time of change in people's lives. And so um, there's a lot of other concerns that we've heard from the community, but that, that is one of the biggest ones, that you're bringing guns into an already uh, volatile situation. To say nothing, of, there were also concerns about drugs and alcohol use as well.
1: Well, I lost my son, Adam, to suicide. Uh, he was... Uh a college student in uh, law school at Appalachian School of Law, and he took his own life with a shotgun, and uh, I can see how these issues can concern people.
4: Well, I think that there will be compensation and activities at, the, at our West Virginia the colleges and universities uh, once and it, when this, this kicks into action. I have a feeling there will be uh, quite a bit of activity.
5: Yeah, and the word compensation makes me think, you know, one of the biggest things that we heard on the Senate side, I, I wasn't able to follow as closely when it went to the House this week, but, you know, this is going to create a new burden for these universities, and especially the smaller ones, you know, we focus on Marshall and WVU because they have uh, the communicative power to put out these letters and people pay attention, but the Concords and, and the other smaller schools in the in the state, we're talking about potentially at least thousands if not millions of dollars in uh, new security measures that they're going to have to take you know, anything from metal detectors to metal wands to added um, you know, staffing at events to check to see if people first of all have a weapon and second of all have the correct licensing because you are supposed to have a license and that's the whole point of this bill is to as the Republicans have been saying formalize something that they believe is already happening on our campuses but the cost of this is, is a big unknown right now
4: Let's talk as well about the K-12 through 12, uh, teachers here in West Virginia because the bill, and I think it stalled a little bit. I haven't heard a whole lot about it, but this is the bill to let teachers be armed, to make them school protection officers, SPOs. And we've heard uh, stories on both sides of this. Uh, have you covered any of that, Bob? I've listened to some of that,
1: you know, you, 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 I, and I guess there certainly are two sides to it. You, you hear a teacher say, I think, I think someone was in there that spoke, talked about uh only having the locked door and a chair to throw between yeah. him and, him and his kids but a, a lot of teachers don't want that don't want to do that and uh don't like the idea of firearms being introduced into an area where they where they're not and sometimes can fall into the control of somebody who, uh, who who's not necessarily the the person that's supposed to have them.
4: Yeah, that was Delegate Elliot Pretty. a seventh or eighth grade social studies teacher in Fayette County, and that's what he said. Yeah, I said if I've got my students here and I got a gunman here and all I got a couple of chairs to throw, maybe it's not a bad idea that I have a gun. That was Randy Owey and Chris Schultz with veteran
0: WCHS TV reporter Bob Aaron in our Reporters' Roundtable for the Legislature today. To hear the rest of the interview, visit our website at wvpublic.org. Tune in every evening, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on radio and television to get updates on the legislative session. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day at our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepard University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Kurt, Chris, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Owey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Chuck Anzalevich. This has been West Virginia Morning.